Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Your ministry tonight. Is this thing working? Can you all hear me okay? Okay, Mike can hear me, so that means the rest of you can hear me. Hallelujah. Um, I just saw this on my pulpit here, a ladies' craft afternoon. That's still happening? Okay, Friday at 3 o'clock at the Smale House. Amen. would encourage you to check that out. That would be fun. Amen. Tonight, let's open up our Bibles. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Join me there tonight. Uh, this message was inspired by an uh, interview that uh, we did for our podcast a couple weeks ago and by a conversation that I had with my brother Patrick today as he, uh, as he took me out to get beaten at golf. And I appreciate that, Patrick. And uh, we had a good time today. But we had a conversation that sparked my mind and began to think about these things. And I want to share these with you tonight. So Ephesians chapter 4, we'll read there in just a moment. Uh, I've read a few articles about um, a generation that is beginning to age. Uh, People who are a little bit younger than me, age 18 to 34, maybe you've heard that this age group in our world today in America, they're having some trouble growing up. There is, uh, there is a, a new verb that has been going around. It is the verb called adulting. I don't know if you've heard any of that. Uh, maybe you've seen people who are struggling to adult. And uh, they'll say, adulting is so hard. And when they say that, what they mean is uh, uh, keeping a job, uh, paying a bill, keeping car insurance on the vehicle, doing laundry, you know, things that adults do. And so there's a generation that is now coming into adult years and very much struggling with the responsibilities that adulthood brings with it. Not to mention things like keeping a marriage together or taking care of children that you've birthed. In essence... Being a responsible adult, and there's a lot of people struggling with that in our generation. According to CBS News, Rachel Flehinger has co-founded something called the Adulting School, which now includes online courses. Skills taught include basic sewing, conflict resolution, and cooking, among other things. CBS suggests that the need for such classes springs from the fact that many millennials 
haven't left their childhood homes. 34% of 18 to 34-year-olds in America, right, it, those are legal adults, right? Somebody over 18. They still live with their parents as of 2015. That is up from 26% only a decade ago. And so there is a rising trend of 18 to 34-year-olds still living at home and having trouble adulting. Now, I want to ask you, what is the reason for this? Not all of the blame can be laid on the goofy millennials. When we look at the true cause for so much of this struggle, it goes right back to the previous generation. Many times, if you look at, an, at someone who is struggling to be an adult, you will look and you will find a parent, a mother or a father, who coddled, pampered, and doted upon those children and did everything for them. When it was time to clean the room, they said, Honey, don't worry about it. I'll clean it for you. When it came time to do the laundry, don't worry about it, sweetheart. I'll do it for you. When it came time for the homework, oh, don't worry, dear Johnny. Don't worry, dear Susie. I'll finish it for you. Would you keep it down in there? I'm trying to finish your school project. And because so many of the millennial generation were, uh, were protected, were comforted, were not disciplined, were not taught many of these things, this is why so many of them are having real-world struggles when it's time to be an adult. All right? Everybody with me so far? Okay? Is it possible that a similar problem could be taking place in the church of Jesus Christ? I believe tonight and halfway through this sermon, I believe I'm going to have to apologize to you, so I want you to pay attention closely tonight. I believe it is also possible in the church of Jesus Christ for a pastor or a, a leader to do too much while the church is not fulfilling its potential. Let's, let's um, read the scripture, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 11. And he gave him, uh, he himself, speaking of Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but, speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Let's pray for just a moment. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus. I'm praying tonight, God, that you would speak to us, give us clarity, understanding, and purpose in our hearts tonight. I pray that, especially for the young men of this congregation, that you would speak to them and give them understanding. God, give them vision tonight. 
to do all that you've placed before them. God, and for every part of this church, every person under the sound of my voice, God, may we all find your will and complete it in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, amen. I want to begin tonight by talking to you about discipleship. Now, we believe wholeheartedly in something called discipleship. It is part of the, our threefold vision for our congregation. To repeat and to hammer home and to remind you of what we are here to do, there are three main things that this church does. Number one, we are here to win the lost, to see people get saved. Number two, we are not satisfied that people would just be saved. We want to see them fulfill their destiny, and that's where discipleship comes in. We are here to make disciples. It's not enough to see someone come to an altar and pray a prayer. I mean, no, that is the new birth. After a new birth, there's a baby to take care of. And that is the beginning of the process of seeing someone become a full believer and disciple in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are winning souls. We are making disciples. And our ultimate vision and goal is to see God use this church to plant new churches. To come to the point where we are able to support uh, sending a couple, a family, a husband and a wife into a city, a neighborhood, and to reproduce everything that has happened here in Virginia Beach. This is the goal. This is the vision of our fellowship. And from the beginning, Pastor Mitchell caught this revelation. It was not something uh, that he had a dream or a vision in the night, but simply through revival, simply through people getting saved, uh, that this, this strategy uh, was honed and perfected and now for the last 40 years our fellowship has thrived doing those three things winning souls making disciples and planting churches and today we have over 2600 churches around the world starting with a little cowboy town in prescott arizona how did that happen it's a miracle it's god and now in over 125 countries around the world, on a Wednesday night, just like we are here, there are churches, 2,600 of them gathered and doing what we do, winning souls, making disciples, and planting new churches. We now have over 55 Bible conferences every year. Just think what that means, that every week, somewhere in the world, there is a Bible conference happening right now. And at the end of that Bible conference, we are going to send new workers into new cities. And so this, what we are part of tonight is something that is growing rapidly. It is a movement. It is not a monument. Can you say amen? amen. That gets me excited tonight. I don't know about you. Somebody here is yawning, but I'm excited about that. I want to talk to you about the power of discipleship. When Jesus came to the earth, he did not come to build a megachurch. There were a few times in Jesus' ministry where there were large crowds, especially when he was handing out free fish sandwiches. And the loaves and the fishes were multiplied and the multitudes gathered to hear him teach and to hear him preach. But by and large, the ministry of Jesus was not aimed at large crowds. He came to develop 12 men. To put his heart and his soul into these men who would later become known as apostles. 
He spent three years of his life doing all, preaching, teaching, healing the multitudes, yes, ministering to the crowds and saving souls. But his greatest work of all was leaving behind 12, well, 11, really, because we know about Judas. But these 11, and then Matthias, who came in later and filled his spot, these 12 disciples then went on to change the world, didn't they? Jesus, at the end of his ministry, he had 12 disciples, and he had 120 gathered in the upper room. That does not look like a megachurch to me. Now, those 120, empowered by the Holy Spirit, revival broke out. Yes, we know, and many people began getting saved, and then it began to spread like wildfire in the earth. Read the book of Acts. This is the vision for discipleship. One time we, uh, we did a podcast episode, Dave and I did, and we, we ran the numbers. Winning the world through megachurches versus winning the world through simple one-to-one evangelism. And it's so much better. Imagine, a mega-successful megachurch could possibly grow to 20,000 people. That seems like a lot of people. There are some churches that get that large and have a, have a Sunday gathering. You might have seen them on TV where they fill uh, a stadium full of people every Sunday. 20,000, maybe 25, but can I tell you, they would rarely get any larger than that. Very rarely. There's always a ceiling to what a megachurch can do. But Jesus' vision is this, Matthew 28, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now let me ask you this question about that great commandment. Was that commandment given only to the disciples that were there that day? Was he speaking only to those 11 that were left? Go and make disciples. Do you believe that only they received that commandment? They were the only ones. I hope you don't believe that. Because I believe that that commandment, that commission was to the entire church of Jesus Christ. Was that commandment only given to church leaders? Was it only given to pastors or evangelists? The commandment to go and make disciples is a mandate given to every believer. And that means you tonight, doesn't it? And so the call to make disciples, we have to take that personally. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Then that should be our number one priority as believers is to get my own butt into heaven and then to bring a few people with me. That's what making disciples means. Making disciples is not just praying with people. It's not just making converts. It's not just uh, handing a flyer and saying, would you pray a prayer with me? That is necessary. That is needed. We need people who are evangelists and who have a heart for souls. But even more than that, we need people who will have the vision to make disciples. Are you hearing me tonight? Making disciples is a very hard thing to do because it takes time. Jesus spent three years with some very stubborn men. And yet, when the process was finished, he said, peace, I'm out of here. 
went back to heaven and said, good luck, buddies. I'll be with you. I'll send my spirit to be with you. But you know what? You're going to have to take this thing. You're going to have to run this thing. You're going to have to to make it go. And, of course, empowered by the Holy Spirit. We know this is not a work of man. This is his church. But tonight, I want to challenge you. I want to ask you, how many disciples have you made? How many people have you worked with? Have you encouraged? Have you prayed with? Have you brought to an arena of fruitfulness in their life? Because that is not just me. That's not just my job. It's not just Pastor Campbell. It's not just Pastor Mitchell. If you're saved, then you need to feel the weight of that responsibility to make disciples. And let me tell you why this is so critical. Because through discipleship, we have the potential to multiply. Imagine a church of 50 members. We've got between 50 and 60 members in our church. And it's not always about the numbers. I understand that. But imagine a church of 50 where we would contend simply to make disciples, where each each person would take the challenge, I want to make just one disciple. And maybe only half of them were successful. And at the end of one year, we would go from 50 to 75 people making disciples. And then those disciples go and they, they take that challenge and I want to be successful again. And maybe only half of those 75 are successful. Well, guess what? After two years, you've got close to 150. It continues to grow and to multiply. Eventually, a church becomes to a size where we can send another couple into another city and can start the process all over again. And if you think of today, our fellowship, 2,600 churches and 125 nations, if you average 50 people per church, that's probably a pretty close average. You know how many people that is? That's 130,000 radical, on-fire soul winners, street preachers, meeting two times on Sunday and one time on Wednesday, meeting for prayer, crying out to the Lord, And by the way, even though the megachurch may have 25,000 people in the stadium, how many of them are really contending for ministry, for making disciples? I'm not here to bash the megachurch. I'm not here to... some, Some things they do well, better than small churches. But tonight I want to give you the vision that discipleship works. Your goal and purpose in life is to win souls and make disciples. Now, let's talk about my role as the pastor. I understand that I have a role to play. I have a part in this process. And pastors in America have become very, very prominent in our church culture. At, uh, in, in some churches, it's all about the pastor. It's all about his, his teaching or his preaching. It's all about his, uh, his uh, characteristics. It's about his personality. It's about his shiny hair and plastered face and his uh, beautiful wife that he carries around with him. And almost to a point of celebrity. 
That's a problem in the church today. There are high expectations on many pastors. There was this article uh, about one pastor in St. Petersburg, Florida, and he he was a pastor of a large-sized church, and he he got together the 12 deacons of the church and uh, gave them a survey. And on the survey, he, he listed several responsibilities that the deacons expected for the pastor to do on a weekly basis. So the pastor put in there about 20 different items that he would do each week as the pastor and also left a few blank spaces for the deacons to fill in in case they had any other ideas for him. And so here's the final list of the 12 deacons, what their expectations were for the pastor to complete. They expected him to pray at the church every week for 14 hours to prepare sermons for 18 hours, to do outreach and evangelism at least 10 hours, for counseling at least 10 10 hours per week, going to the hospital and visiting homes at least 15 hours a week. Administrative functions should be 18 hours a week. Involvement in the community should be 5 hours a week. Involvement in our denomination at least 5 hours a week. Church meetings about 5 hours per week. Worship services and preaching should be at least 4 hours per week. And under the category of other, should be at least 10 hours a week. Okay, no problem, the pastor said. Once you add up all of those hours, do you know what it comes to? Only 114 hours per week, pastor, that you should be doing for us. That was the expectations of the 12 deacons that they had for the pastor. How many understand that that is an unrealistic expectation to put on any pastor? How could you possibly expect a man to work 16 hours a day and not hate hate himself and everyone else? And so for all of the focus and attention that pastors command in our culture and in many churches in America, they really don't have a large place in Scripture. And I want to remind you of this tonight. Maybe you didn't understand this or realize this. Even though it's my face you're looking at on every Sunday and every Wednesday, according to the scripture, I am not really that big of a deal. Because the word pastor is only mentioned one time in the New Testament. That's it. There's plenty of evangelists, there's plenty of prophets, there's plenty of soul winners, there's plenty of apostles. But only one place in all of Scripture where pastors are mentioned. And it's in the Scripture that we read. One time. Right here in verse 11. He gave himself, uh, uh, rather he himself gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. It's kind of just thrown in at the end there. Pastors and teachers. Can I remind you tonight the reason why I am here? is not to visit hospitals. It's not to do church administration. It's not even counseling, even though these are some things that I am involved in. But the Bible does not say anything about leading meetings, about organizing. The Bible does not say anything about rock music or playing guitars. The Bible doesn't say anything about organizing chairs or buying buildings or leading the prayer meetings. The one thing 
that pastors are supposed to do is in verse 12. Are you with me tonight? The equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. That is my job tonight. That is my job. The equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. That word equipping in the Greek, it has the idea of a carpenter who after long hours of labor and crafting and fitting pieces together, at the end he steps back and he says, it's perfect. It's done. Equipping. It means the perfection. It means a completion. This is the job. This is the role of a pastor. It's not just preaching. It's not just teaching. It's not just Bible understanding. It's not prayer. It is equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. And now comes time for my apology. I'm sorry. Because I have been doing too much. Too much work of ministry. And what I have discovered and what, uh, what the, the pastor that we interviewed uh, mentioned in our, in our little interview He said, if a pastor is going to do the work of ministry, then the church will let him. And you have let me. Because I have some things that I can do and some things that I do well. And many times it's easier for me to just say, "Ah, I love doing it anyway, so I'll do it. I, I, I told Patrick as we were having this discussion earlier today, this is a weird thing for me. Because I love working for the Lord. I really do. I love preparing sermons. I love preaching sermons. I love going on outreach. I love knocking on doors. I love leading outreaches. I love playing the guitar. I love singing for Jesus. These are things that I love to do. But what the Lord has been helping me with is that I need to do less of those things and more of what I'm supposed to be doing, which is equipping some of you to do them. I have been holding you back, I think. And let me just say that I understand that none of this church uh, is only administered just by me. I realize there are people here, you have been doing things behind the scenes and laboring, uh, even without my knowledge. And so I say thank you to those of you who have been doing that and doing great works for the kingdom. But I also know that there's people in this place that you could be doing more. So let's look at the role of the saints. Our scripture said that the role of the pastor is this, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. How many saints do we have in here, not just from New Orleans? If you are saved, then that is the word that the Bible has for you. Now, you might not feel like a saint. You might not look in the mirror And see a saint looking back at you. You know what I'm saying? Because we know our flaws and we have problems and we understand that. But the Bible, from the moment that we are saved, the Bible calls you and I a saint of the living God. Someone who's holy, set apart, and sanctified 
for the work of God. So what is the role of the saints? So first of all, if this work is going to be done, the work of ministry, it has to be done by saints. What I mean by that tonight is that the the church is no place for the world to be working. We have standards. We have expectations that if you want to do something for God, you ought to be living for God. That makes a lot of sense, I hope. And yet in many churches there are people who, uh, there are many churches who would even hire out members for the band. They would put an ad in the newspaper, we need a new drummer. And a drummer could show up with, uh, with uh, a resume of all the bands he played in. And they don't even ask him his spiritual condition. <laughs> that would be a problem, I think. The work for ministry, first of all, is a work for saints. It doesn't mean that you're perfect. It doesn't mean that you are perfected yet. It doesn't mean that you've sprouted angel wings. But it does mean that you're saved and that you want to live for God. As I am searching up and down these aisles today, I'm looking for people who have a heart for the things of God. I want to help. Secondly, there must be desire. Everybody say the word desire. I cannot help anyone who doesn't want to be helped. You know the the old saying, you can lead a horse to water, can't make it drink. I can stand up here and preach my face off for years. But I'm not going to force anybody. I'm not going to twist anyone's arms. What we must have is some men and some couples and some ladies and some people who say, I want a, a part of that. I want a part of that. I have a desire to do something. I have a desire to be equipped. So the word again, to be equipped, it means to be made ready, to be made perfect, to be crafted so that you can be useful. There was a time when I got saved and started attending the Chandler Church and, uh, and it was about uh, shortly after, uh, that, actually before that my wife and I got saved, I got married rather, I was saved for a period of years. And then uh, shortly before we got married, I remember we went to a Bible conference and I had a powerful experience with God in an altar. And it was a Thursday night of a Bible conference. We had just seen a video and it was Pastor Scott Grabowska and his wife Carrie. Some of you remember some of those old videos back before, you know, digital video when it was a shaky VCR camera, that big old thing. And somebody was holding the camera on this, these two these two people, this missionary couple, and they were in Mozambique, a place I had never heard of before. But there they were, and they had a group of all these little African children all around them, these beautiful little faces. And they were just giving a report of all that God was doing through their lives and how God had moved in their church. And I remember so clearly that God spoke to me, and he said, one day, that's going to be you up there. I was 19 years old. So I had a problem (laughs) because I had no idea how I was going to get from there to there. I didn't know all the steps in between. What I did have was a desire. 
I put my face in the carpet, and I said, God, I don't know how this is going to happen. You're going to have to make it happen. You're going to have to help me because I can't do this on my own. I went to Pastor Campbell shortly after that, and I said, Pastor, God powerfully spoke to me that this is what he wants me to do. I need your help. And so began the process of discipleship. Pastor Campbell did something with me that no one else has ever done. He discipled me. He, along with Pastor Ortiz, Hector Ortiz was the assistant pastor of the Chandler Church at that time. They were the ones who did this scripture. They equipped me for the work of ministry. And you know how they did that? They chewed my butt off when it needed to be chewed off. They told me I was lazy when I was being lazy. They commended me when I was doing well. They encouraged me. They preached at me. They taught me. They showed me. These men of God, for the next five years of my life, I put myself under their direction. Made me a Bible study. First, it was an assistant Bible study leader. You know, we had Friday night Bible studies. And we went over to John and Wendy Cornell's house. They were the leaders, and we were the assistant leaders. It was a big job. Mostly, it was just making nachos every Friday. But it was something because we had a desire. All I want is to help, Pastor. How can I help? We started leading the teen ministry. Pastor Campbell said, you know how to drive? I said, yes. I was, I was young, but I had a lot of miles under my belt. And so he said, here, here's a 15-passenger van, church van. It's a little beat up, but it can carry teenagers. He said, take that bus, and every Saturday you're going to lead the gorilla team. Not the G-O-R-I-L-L-A, gorilla, the gorilla team, you know, like the military one. Every week, we took a group of teenagers to a different little pioneer church, little pioneer pastor. He's got five people, and we would show up in this van full of teenagers, most of them were saved, and we would outreach for them, and we would bless them. I said, I just want to be a blessing. You know, I could have been doing a lot of things on those Saturdays. I could have been working. I could have been making money. I could have been pursuing a hobby or a career. You know what I did? At 8 a.m., I would pick up teenagers from their house and take them to hour. You know why? Because I had a desire. I had a desire to be equipped. And I didn't understand why Pastor Campbell was putting me in all these various places and with all these responsibilities at the time. But I look back at it now and I realize, you know, I, I see what he was doing. He was trying to equip me for the work of ministry. Now, I'm not saying tonight that everyone here is called to be a pastor like I am, or everyone here is called to be a missionary, or not everyone here has the same calling. Thank God for that. There is variety in the kingdom of God. My point is this. Do you have a desire to be equipped for the ministry that God has called you to. That's what we need. Desire. The desire to be equipped. Pastor, I want to do something for God. I don't want to just make a paycheck every week. Thank God for people who have paychecks. But your paycheck is not going to make a huge difference in the kingdom. You, on the other hand, your labor 
your ministry, your faithfulness, your discipleship can make a difference in a human being's life, can lead someone to eternity. So my apology is this. I think I've been doing too much ministry. I've been doing too much work in the ministry, and so I'm handing in my resignation. (laughs) No, I'm not quitting as the pastor. I am fulfilling my role tonight to equip you to do the ministry. Moses had a similar encounter in Exodus chapter 18. Moses' father-in-law came and saw all that he did for the people and said, what is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit and all the people stand before you from morning till evening? Then verse 17, Moses' father-in-law said to him, the thing that you do is not good. Both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out. For this thing is too much for you and you are not able to perform it by yourself. I feel that, Brother Moses. So, let me make you aware of some of the opportunities. Help wanted. We need Bible study leaders. We need assistant Bible study leaders. We need outreach leaders. We need Saturday night concert leaders. We need musicians. We need singers. We need song service leader. We need ushers. We need ushers. We need ushers. And we need a few more ushers. We need somebody here who's going to be a preacher in training. Remember how Joseph got thrown in the pit? That stands for preacher in training. We need preachers in training. Pastor, I've got a vision that God could use me one day. We need someone to make a calendar and keep the calendar. We've got somebody cleaning the church. We've got a cleanup team. But you know what? They're hurting. Right, Ramon? Could use some more help. (laughs) We need those who will administer. Count the offerings. Be trustworthy. Be on time. Help wanted. Because I'm quitting. Not because I don't want to do it. Trust me. I love to do it. Me and my wife, we both love to do it. But it's not our job. This is not our church. This is your church. And it is your job to do the work of ministry. You are the one supposed to be visiting people in the hospital. You are the one supposed to be visiting those follow-up, those people who come to church and pray a prayer and we don't see them again. That's your job. Go see them. That's not my job. I'm supposed to equip you for the work of ministry. You're the ones. So I will continue to do what I can, but I am not going to any longer bear the full weight of that responsibility tonight. I want to close with having vision for ministry. Now, some of you might say to yourself, Pastor, I really, I, 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 I can see what you're saying and I want to help but I could never see myself doing the thing that God called me to do. It's just so far away from who I am today. I want to encourage you tonight. God can give you a vision. What is your vision for ministry tonight? I'm sure we've got a good, healthy crowd here tonight. What is your vision for a ministry 
that our church could do? What is a vision that you could lead, that you could start, that you could do something? But pastor, what if I start and it fails? Great, you've learned how to fail a ministry, so you know the next time how not to fail. The point is tonight that the work of ministry is yours to do. My job is simply to equip you, to help you. Say, well, maybe that will work like this. Maybe it, maybe you could do better like that. Maybe if you'd show up for prayer, that would help a little more. Maybe if you'd be on time, you could be a better example so people would follow you. Right? That's my job. To equip you to do the ministry. And so, I want you to catch a vision tonight. This is, this is my prayer for anyone hearing this message tonight. That you would no longer be satisfied sitting like a bump on a log watching the pastor do something. Say, Pastor, I see now that it's my job to do the work of ministry. I just want your help to get there. I want to see a shift in how this church operates. So far, we've had a faithful few, my wife and my, my children, doing a lot. But I think we can do so much more if I would get out of the way. So, let's catch a vision tonight. Bow our heads and close our eyes. As I think of my experience in the Chandler Church, the reason that the Chandler Church, and most some of you have been there to witness the incredible power of God that is evident in everything the Chandler Church does. And I think about what is the reason why the Chandler Church is such a powerful church? What's the reason why, over the years, it has produced so many disciples converts and churches launched out. I think over 120, maybe 130 churches out of the Chandler Church. And I think, why does that happen? Is it because Pastor Campbell is such a marvelous preacher? And indeed, he is a fantastic preacher. But I think the reason is far more than that. The reason is because of people like Ron Cass, Gary Snell, my father-in-law, People like Bill Moorhead, thank you. People like Andy Winter. People like Tom Thompson and John Johnson. People that you might not know their names, but there's hundreds of them who have this vision. This is our church, and we're going to do the work of ministry. Pastor Campbell, how do I get there? Pastor Tozer, how do I get there? Would you equip me for the work of ministry? The reason the Chandler Church is what the Chandler Church is, is not only because of Pastor Campbell. He plays a role, certainly. He does his part. He prays. He fasts. He preaches. He makes disciples. Because there are disciples to be made. My prayer tonight is that there be someone here Catch a vision. Catch a vision to do a work of ministry. I don't know what that looks like for you. 
I don't know what your, I know what my vision is. But you've got to know what your vision is for ministry. And so, before we open this altar for prayer, I want to ask if there's anyone here who's not right with God. Your sins are destroying you, and you're not one of those saints that the Bible spoke about. You're not on your way to heaven because your sins are not forgiven. I would love to pray with you tonight, lead you to repentance. Is there someone here you'd say, yes, please remember me in prayer. I need salvation. I'm backslidden in my heart. Is that you? Quickly, let me see your hand so I can see it. Thank you, brother. Is there someone else? Quickly. You need salvation. You need the power of God to transform your heart through the blood of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, his death on the cross and his resurrection. It can make an impact. It can change you in a moment of time. If you will humble yourself and trust in Christ. Amen, bro. You lifted up your hand. I wonder, would you do one more thing? You just stand up to your feet and come forward. Can I have somebody come and pray with you right here at this altar? I need uh, one brother to come and pray with this man. Thank you for your honesty, bro. Amen. You can kneel down right here. Amen. Will somebody come and pray with our brother tonight? And tonight, as we bring this service to a close, I pray that somebody would hear this message and say, Pastor, I've got a desire. I want to do something. I know that so many of us, we're busy. We are so busy with the things of life, family, work. Busy, busy, busy. But I want to tell you tonight, there is no greater work on the planet Earth than the work of the church of Jesus Christ. There's no greater labor that we can do than the labor we are doing together in this place. I know we've got to pay bills. We've got to take care of responsibility. We have to adult. But I also want to remind you, there is no greater work on the earth than working for the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know what that looks like for you. But do you know what it looks like? If you don't know tonight what it is God is calling you to, if you don't have a vision for your work of ministry, then you need to come to the altar tonight and ask God, what is the work of ministry that you have for me? Show me, lead me, speak to me. I want to be fruitful and effective for your kingdom. I want to win souls and make disciples. I want to do the work of ministry. Amen. We're going to stand up to our feet tonight and we're going to ask God to help us and speak to us right here in this place. Can we come to this altar tonight and ask God, what is it, Lord, that you want me to do? Just be open. I, you may have no idea how you get from point A to point B. That's okay. Tonight, all we're looking for is a desire, the willingness I'm here, Lord. Speak to me. Show me what you want for me. Take a few moments at this altar to pray. Seek his guidance tonight as we sing this song of worship.
Oh, let's stand up to our feet tonight as we sing out this song of worship. We sing holy. We're singing holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, worthy. All the earth is filled with your glory, Lord, we give you glory tonight. We give you glory, one more time, sing holy. We're singing holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, worthy. All the earth is filled with your glory, glory. We give We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vvph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vvph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.